0: Well, I'm a child of God, and I'm a believer in Jesus Christ who's in recovery for being an adult child of a dysfunctional family. My name is Connie. Hi. Hi. Uh, Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for um, just for this place and uh, for just uh, giving us a space to come and uh, to share our struggles, our hurts that um, has molded us into the people that we are, but that we don't have to be like that. Um, Lord, you've given us an opportunity to change um, with your power, Father. So thank you, and uh, just be with us tonight, and whatever it is that you have for us, may our hearts be willing to receive and be open to that. We love you, Lord, in your son's name I pray, amen. amen. Great. Uh, well, I was born in a little town in Mexico into a blended family. My mom married my dad and adopted my five brothers and sisters. My mother was a child of an alcoholic and very codependent. My dad was a recovering alcoholic who struggled with anger and worked a lot. Uh, My dad, let me see. Very early in my life, at about the age of five years old, I began to question my worth. I remember being scared of my dad's angry outbursts. I remember thinking to myself that there must have been something wrong with me or I must have done something bad to make him angry. Every time my dad got angry, he would throw anything within his reach and yell out how tired he was of everyone and everything. Then he would leave the house. Most of the time, it was unclear to me why he reacted this way. The event would happen and it would never be explained. It was never talked about or revisited. So, at this age, I made my own assumptions, and I concluded that his anger and outburst must have been because I was not wanted. The thoughts that ran through my head were, it was my fault, I did something wrong, I must be a bad girl. At, the, at, at a young age, I learned behaviors that helped me cope with my childhood struggles, but would soon become very damaging in my later years. For example, I learned how to try to prevent people around me from getting angry or upset by being overly nice, never saying no, always doing what I was told, and never saying out loud what I really thought. I learned how to please others all in the goal of protecting myself from the harm, from from harm from these out of control moments. My hunger for approval made me vulnerable to abusive situations. At the age of six years old, I was sexually abused several times by a friend of the family. Since this person was respected by my family, I saw him as a trustworthy person. And though I was too young to understand exactly what was going on, it didn't feel right. I didn't. He didn't tell. He did tell me uh, to not tell other people. I remember feeling very confused and had a fear of not telling. and and a lot of fear, and therefore, I did not tell anyone. Again, this would be another major thing not to be talked about in my family. During this time, I started to catch on to the rhythm of our home, where we didn't talk about our feelings, we never asked questions, and if things bothered someone, we really never knew about it. Today, I can see how broken our family was, but as a young child, it was all I knew so it seemed normal to me. So I quickly learned to stuff my feelings, never showing when I was hurt, never allowing anyone to see any negative emotion in me. Although this helped me to fit in and survive at home, it left me vulnerable to other types of abuse outside of my home, like bullying. Though I did all my schooling here in the U.S., my primary language was Spanish. I remember at school just wanting to fit in and have people to play with, like any other kid. Uh, But I began to be bullied at school and I wanted to avoid any conflicts, so I was an easy target. I did everything they told me. There were times when I attempted to stand up for myself, but it ended worse. I would get yelled at, threatened, pushed, called names like stupid, dumb, and other inappropriate names. I remember I would get cornered in the school bathroom by a group of girls who threatened me to hurt, to hurt me if I didn't do what they wanted. I tried telling the teacher several times, but that just ended worse for me. I never really spoke about it at home, but I do remember telling my mom that, but I do remember mom telling me that when I had a problem or I was going through something rough, to pray to God and that he would listen. And he did, or I did. Though I did not know Christ at this time, I grew up knowing about the existence of God. But in no way did I think he was someone whom I could have a relationship with. My knowledge of God was simply that he existed, that he loved mankind, and that if I tried really hard, he would listen. I prayed so many times for the kids at school to leave me alone. I'd rather, I pray that they would get sick, so just so I didn't have to go through the anxiety of what was gonna happen the next day. I hated having to pretend that I was okay, that what they were doing was not hurting me, but mostly I started to hate myself. The fear of rejection and of conflict was so strong that I would rather put up with the bullying than stand up for myself. This later progressed from pushing from pushing, shoving, name-calling, and being threatened to being sexually touched by a group of boys. This happened several times, but this became too much for me, and I just blew up. I punched one of the kids in the face and I beat him down with my lunchbox. I told him to leave me alone. (laughs) But even then, I remember I never told my family or anyone else. I stuffed all the guilt and shame. Around this time, I began to hate the fact that I was a girl. I didn't want anyone to see me as a girl. I didn't want to be noticed, all while still wanting to be noticed. For about for about five years, starting at the age of 13, I experienced sexual harassment and emotional abuse by, by a family member. During this time, I was in constant anxiety and always making excuses for not being in the house or alone in order to not be cornered by this person. I didn't tell anyone about what was happening at home. I had no ability to stand up for myself. And even, and, e- and even if I thought about standing up for myself, guilt and confusion confusion often ruled my thinking. School and friends became a major place where I spent my time. But I carried this inability to speak up or say no in these relationships. I soon began working, and I was was very liked by my bosses. Why? Because if they ever needed me to work extra, I was there, or change a shift, or adapt in some kind of way. I quickly did it without complaining complaining or saying no. This led to having many extra shifts at work, which I welcomed for the money, but more so because it kept me away from the troubles at home. However, I soon found myself unable to say no to these requests, even if I really wanted to. The guilt and shame and fear of disappointing my bosses would be greater than my need to say no. So I never did. I would often cry and get internally frustrated and be overwhelmed by the work demands, but never actually voicing them to my supervisors. I also started having friends here and there, and to that wanted to have some fun. But I quickly jumped, so that I quickly jumped at the chance to hang out with them. I loved feeling a part of them. When I was with them, I felt free, like I was doing adult things, and being with them gave me a break from the stresses of life. However, when I was with them, I would give in to drinking too much. I would always tell myself that I was not gonna drink at this time, or this time. I was just there to have fun, but the main reason we hung out together was to drink. So at the end of the night, I was coming out drunk or almost passed out. I did not think I was was out of control or that it was a problem. Plus, I justified it and I said, it's time I had fun, everyone does it, and I'm not hurting anyone. Whew, man. Romans 12, 2 says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but be a new and different person with a new freshness in all you do and think. Then you will learn from your own experience how his way will really satisfy you. My days were filled with heavy demands for work, as well as with my friends leaving no time for my family. I was so wrapped up into fitting in with friends and making everybody happy at work that I was not able to even take one day off of work to go visit my grandfather, who at the time was very sick. He was the only living grandfather that I had. I grew up with him all my life. He took the time to play with me, to show me things, help me with school, with schoolwork, and often did life with me when my parents were too busy. During his dying days, he often asked my mom to tell me to visit him because he wanted to talk with me. I wanted to see him but I couldn't get myself to either miss work or to tell my boss that I needed this time. There was great fear and guilt that continually overwhelmed me at the thought of asking for this. Well, by the time I went, he was already in a coma and he died that same night I visited him. I never got to hear what he wanted to tell me, and I carried that guilt for many years. At the age of 20, I started dating a guy I had met in college, and when my family member, the one whom I had experienced sexual harassment and abuse from found out, he reacted with anger and jealousy and had an emotional breakdown. He told me to to break up the relationship and when I refused, he began to stalk me at school, work, and church. I was being threatened that if I continued the relationship, he was gonna kill himself. This made me very afraid and anxious because I believed him when he said that I was responsible for what he was going through. In my sick thinking, I believed that I was the only person that could help him, and I felt guilty because I did not want to. In fact, all I wanted to do was to get away from him. However, my family, not knowing about the abuse still, kept insisting that I support him and be there for him. I felt trapped and I relied on my boyfriend at the time to escape from my personal problems. And I seek comfort and relief from my pain in him. This was the cycle. When I had a problem, I would come running for him for comfort. Once I was fine, I would end the relationship because I realized I did not feel the same way this person did. But once I felt alone and in distress, I came, I came running back. This was a crazy cycle, but I felt so powerless to get out of it. At this point, my problems with my family member were not getting any better. My relationship with my boyfriend had ended, and I no longer had an escape or felt safe anywhere. I desperately wanted for someone to come and just take me away and to save me from the life that I was living. I had no desire to live anymore. I didn't care what happened to me, and I began began to ponder how to take my life. I was at my rock bottom. Psalms 40.12 says, problems far too big for me to solve are piled higher than my head. Meanwhile, meanwhile, my sins, too many to count, have all cut up with me and I am ashamed to look up. Mm. Around this time, my sister noticed that I was not doing very well and invited me to something called Celebrate Recovery. I had been here once before when I was 18, but all I remember is not relating to any of it. I thought, this is not for me. I don't have these kinds of problems, I'm fine. I was a mess when I came into the doors of recovery. I had no idea who I was, what was going on with me, and I had no desire to live this life anymore. I saw no hope at all. I was tired of my life, I was tired of the lies, pretending to be what others wanted, the need to please others, my low self-esteem, and carrying all that guilt and shame. I I was at my rock bottom, and it was ugly and miserable. I could no longer deny the pain, the fear and resentment I had carried for many years. The first couple of months in recovery, I was scared and confused and in a whole lot of denial. Every time I came in, I had no clear thought on why exactly I was here, but I knew that my life was unmanageable. The coping skills that I used as a kid, the people pleasing, the hiding, hiding the truth in order to to not cause problems, stuffing my feelings and not talking about them, living in denial and pretending like the things that were happening did not really affect me, were no longer useful to me. In fact, they were destroying me. I kept coming back for several reasons though. Every time I, was, every time I came in, I was welcomed with smiles. I was never forced to do anything and people still accepted me anyways. I didn't speak in OpenShare group for a couple of months and I never felt rejected or looked at differently. I was embraced and encouraged to keep coming back and to call them anytime. I was accepted just as I was, confused and a mess. There was also something in the lessons and in the testimonies that seemed to make sense to me, though I did not understand exactly how or why. Coming from a background where difficult things were not ever talked about and out sitting in an open share group where for a full hour people talk about real things, painful or not, it was amazing and it was terrifying both at the same time. There was honesty, vulnerability, hope, joy, and life in each person that shared. These were qualities that at the time I was far from, but I knew that I wanted. I began serving right away because I wanted to feel useful and a part of something. I started greeting and cleaning up after dessert, and then I transitioned to serve in the bookstore. Serving was one of the reasons I kept coming back. It gave me a sense of purpose in a time when I could not see any purpose to my life. As I continued to attend Celebrate Recovery, my sister invited me to Big Valley Grace Church service. I had never been to a Christian service, And this was very different from what I had experienced before. I remember listening to Pastor Rick Countryman preach and I thought, this guy is crazy. (laughs) I remember looking around the congregation and thinking this guy and these people believe the Bible like that this thing is real and true, that God sent his one and only son to die on a cross that he was buried and rose again from the dead for the forgiveness of our sins so we can have eternal life with him. I had heard these stories, but I always thought that's all they were, stories. As crazy as everything sounded, I could not stop crying that service. And I left a little scared because for the first time, I began to sense a thirst to know more about Christ. I could not understand what was happening, but now I see that God was already at work in me and calling me into his forever family. I kept coming back to church and CR, and on one night in my room, I accepted Christ as my Lord and my savior. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, When someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside. He is not the same anymore. A new life has begun. I didn't have this moment of awe or feel any different right then and there. But the more I read God's word, the more I realized that I had a God who was no longer distant, but a personal and loving God who cared so much for me. Not far, not far after, I decided to follow Jesus Christ and I got baptized at the river. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Soon after, I started my first step study. This was scary for <laughs> different reasons. I had no idea who these women were and what they were gonna think of me when they heard my stuff. I knew that it was a year commitment and I honestly did not think I was gonna last that long. It went against everything I grew up believing, which was, you don't tell people your stuff, you don't show your feelings, you don't trust others. In other words, you look perfect. Here, the more jacked up and honest you were, the more they loved you and accepted you. (laughs) That's crazy. (laughs) In my first step study, I dealt with an enormous amount of denial. I had spent so many years trying to deny my problems, my struggles growing up in an alcoholic home the guilt and shame from the abuse, and all the while justifying my own sinful actions. That is, that it was very difficult for me to talk about it and to even begin to write about these things. But in this, God was patient and loving and provided me with his courage and strength to face each step. Getting into a step study was one of the best decisions I made. The hardest step, was step four and five, doing an open and honest, fearless moral inventory of myself and openly confessing my faults to myself, to God and to someone I trust. To do this, I had to accept what had happened in my past happened. I had to dig back into some ugly places in my life, into my own sins and write them down and then confess them to myself, to God and to someone I trust. Sharing my sins, my screw-ups, my imperfections was hard because now someone else knew me, the messy and imperfect me, something that I tried very hard to avoid because of fear of rejection. But in this, I experienced so much freedom and grace. I was loved no matter what mistakes I had done. I shared my inventory with a couple of women who had been in recovery longer than I had. And each time I shared my stuff, I felt the sense of freedom and I was able to talk about it with them with less fear and shame. Psalms 32.5 says, there was a time when I wouldn't admit what a sinner I was. Yeah, that's for sure. But my dishonesty made me miserable and filled my days with frustration. My strength evaporated like water like water on a sunny day until I finally admitted all my sins to you and and stopped trying to hide them. I said to myself, I will confess them to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone." After finishing my step study, I had the privilege to continue to serve by being a sponsor, a facilitator for uh, women in recovery from abuse, co-facilitating several step studies. Today's step studies are one of my favorite places to serve because it is where I experience so much healing and I also get to witness ladies who come in broken and walk out victorious, thanks to God's amazing grace. After a few years in recovery, I found myself involved in other ministries at the church. Oh, well. I forgot the last page. (laughs) So I'm going to just wing it. (laughs) Let's see how this goes. (laughs) I should have been more prepared. (laughs) That's okay. I found myself involved in several ministries at the church. And one of the things that I realized was that as, as beautiful as many ministries are, um, and studying the Word of God, I still needed to have Celebrate Recovery. I still needed to have a 12-step program. I still needed to have meetings that I could come in and share and hear that experience, that strength, and that hope. Because my dysfunction is going back into that denial past. <laughs> And if I don't work that diligent program, if I am not working my steps to the best of my ability, then I'm relapsing. And I know that for me, it has cost me such a high price that I am no longer willing to take that risk. I need to be here. I need to hear you guys. Your experience of strength and your hope. So thank you. Thank you for being here because without you guys, I don't know where I would be, so, and for the newcomer, if you are new, as you can see, we make so many mistakes, I forgot the last page of my testimony, <laughs> so it's all right, and thank you, I know that you may have fear, you, I know, I don't know where you're at in your life, but just keep coming back, and listen, go to Open Room and listen to that experience, listen to that hope, Listen to that strength. And for you guys that have been here like longer than I have, thank you so much because it's in those rooms where I get to hear, oh my gosh, yes, there is hope. Yes, there is gonna be another day. And yes, I may have messed up today, but I can continue on. Like it is nothing is just broken. Like we we can't do this together. So thank you for letting me share.